Step right up. Welcome back. Come right in as we enter into the Dungeon Master's Block. The place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master. The most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch, and that's all of the scary voice that I'm going to do. I slept in the pirate there for a little bit. It sounded weird, uh, but I'm the only one doing the intro for this episode, so it feels extra weird to be doing these silly voices. So, hey, we're here, Dungeon Master's Block, doing a Halloween episode. In this Halloween episode, Neil and I are going to be talking about hunting monsters, that classic Halloween trope, Van Helsing style. It's going to be great. Before we jump into the meat and talk about that in this episode, I have a five-star review to give a shout-out to. This five-star review comes from Sub to Me on YT, and it's entitled Best d Podcast for Narrative Inspiration. There isn't any reason why you shouldn't listen. For players, it's a wellspring of knowledge you can use to metagame your way out of any situation. And for DMs, having a wellspring of brilliant ideas to make any RPG shine with narrative glory and the holiest of narrative progression, character development. And in parentheses, cast suggestion, listen to this podcast. That's a great review. Thanks so much. Sub to me on YT. Appreciate it and appreciate you as a listener. Well, without any further ado, let's jump into the gross, gritty, rotten meat for this Halloween episode. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. Well, as we said, for this segment of the meat, for our Halloween episode, we're talking about hunting for monsters, Van Helsing style. So, uh, Neil, it's us today in in the meat section. It's us uh, talking on the shop. And so, uh, Van Helsing style gaming, perfect for Halloween. I guess the, the first question is if you're going to have either it be a one-shot or a whole campaign with hunting for monsters, what are some of your thoughts on how you can set that campaign or that one shot up right? You really threw me for a loop. Like I hadn't thought of it as like a one shot or a campaign. Like this entire time, for some reason, I had only thought of it like ideas about running a monster hunting style campaign. Because I think one of the yeah. things for me is deciding what's your bigger bigger monster and letting your like the other monsters that you're incorporating be kind of like leading up to it or some just like side characters or NPCs or things like that. So I think to really hit home on like that whole monster hunting feel like monsters have to be prevalent in whatever world and setting that you're in. So is it (laughs) we're hunting monsters? There's no. Well, exactly, though. But it's not even that there are monsters or that there's like a like a a roving band of trolls just over the next hill. But it's it. I think part of it is that 
they go into like the lore so deeply because if you think about like um man like it, it makes me think that it's like cryptozoology from the 1800s like that's kind of that that feel that you get is that there's um dr jekyll and mr hyde and that there's this so there's this story this lore about that scenario and and or dracula and that this story is hundreds of years old so i think it's that oh yeah it has to be yeah, really I get prevalent what you're saying like like and it's almost like that's a good place to start is to dive into like the actual folklore of these monsters. Like if we're playing uh, in a monster hunter game where all the PCs are these Van Helsing like characters that their purpose is to go around from place to place and kill monsters. Like when you brought up trolls, like where are they gonna come across a troll? A troll is gonna be cross. They're crossing a bridge mm-hmm. and they hear a creepy voice from underneath. And like to go into the detail of the folklore of the creepiness of that uh, really can build upon the type of game that you're trying to play in. And the big thing about Van Helsing and the, the reason we wanted to frame it is that, that historically and also it's around the same time. So I when I did the research, there are several things I did. Uh, one is actually watch the Hugh Jackman film. OK, <laughs> not great. But not great as it. Some people love no, that no, okay. movie. Some people like are like it's 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 schmuck, oh, but it's good. Okay, but that, so they, that's my thing is that, that that's a great way to start the conversation about the film is that one, it is not a pinnacle of cinema. There's just yeah. that. Um, but if you're looking at it through the eyes of like a D and D campaign, it is mm. good. It is yeah. really on point for like the way the characters are over exaggerated and the way yes. the monsters are. It's great inspiration. Yes, fantastic. And for a D&D campaign like this, it's good to, like like the movie did, lean into it is what I think you're saying. Yes, oh, it leans very well. And some of the stuff that, <laughs> that is total, that's what a, a player would say their character is doing. Um, mm-hmm. Where Kate Beckinsale like grabs the rope and literally swings across the chasm, like hundreds and hundreds of foot chasms, as the one of the brides of Dracula tries to swoop in and attack her. She slams into the wall, flip flops all down, but it's just like, nah, I'm good. I made my yeah. acrobatics check. I'm not dead <laughs> somehow. Well, I think that players who are going to be playing in this type of game, they want to play that like a lot of them are probably going to want to play that type of over-the-top character that is like rough around the edges and they've they've seen some stuff right Mm -hmm. like so taking a nice fall like that like they're just gonna get up they're gonna brush themselves off and have this pissed off face like now that vampire is gonna die (laughs) oh it's good but the other thing that that's nice is you have a lot of different Helsing Helsing style stories because originally this was 1897 that it was kind of the counterpoint to Dracula and all the iterations that it's taken from there. Um, and I, I think one of the other big things is about that lore is that oftentimes the the Helsing character is one, the original um, Abraham let's make sure we say that right the internet will find us yes abraham van helsing was insanely intelligent like phds metaphysics all these certain things and i think that works really well with again incorporating that lore and so then like what do they know what do they not know but like also they can research anything that they want 
Yeah, I like the idea of, like you said, like <laughs> it sounds simple, but there have to be monsters and the lore of those monsters um, can be really important to it. And you could play um, a monster hunting type uh, game in just the typical fantasy world. Um, but if you're going to want to make this more than a one shot, um, I think leaning into it and having a Ravenloft like or just go Ravenloft setting um, is something that is fantastic for this style of game. Even if you have your homebrew world and it is uh, more of a typical like fantasy homebrew world, maybe there's a a place, a country that has been under a curse and they are that Ravenloft-like place mm -hmm. that when you go there, having Monster Hunter be like a type of profession um, and maybe even a revered profession is something that is key to that country and is something that uh, your players can kind of sink their teeth into, yeah. uh, pun intended, <laughs> uh, um, to yeah, to, to kind of drive that story. Maybe there's a, a guild, a monster hunting guild. Maybe you just create a band of mercenaries, that that is what they do. They go around uh, from week to week doing the monster of the week hunt, um, and that can kind of lead up to like a, a arch enemy that like is the big overarching uh, big bad for the story. Uh, and then you can throw in their villains and their little villains, uh, little minions that could be um, just obstacles to get to that big bad. But that big bad might be, whether it's a, a werewolf or a vampire or a ghost or a dragon or whatever you want, um, in that type of setting, the monsters might be in charge. Like, the humans may be, like, the more underground, like, we have to, like, live, like in secret because monsters are in charge of this land and if we're found we're dead and we're gonna get eaten um so to this oppressed people the the humans and the dwarves and the gnomes who are like hiding out so they don't get killed uh, by the powers that be you could be this underground like heroes and champions that like are are going out and seeking to assassinate the powers that be to try to turn back the tide uh, to push back against the powers of the monsters that are in charge. I think the other fun thing to do is if you have this place that is so prevalent with monsters, one version is that you have monster hunters, but you can also have people that just like that they have monsters. Because hmm. that, that's also in the movie is that the people don't really want someone to go kill the vampire because as of right now, the vampires only kind of take what they need. They don't really kill everyone. They don't do it like it's not this wanton destruction. It's just they kill what they need and then they just leave it there. And so a monster hunter coming in and there's also that that D&D trope as well that some townspeople view adventurers as problems because problems follow adventurers. And it's like the kind of chicken, the egg situation. So it all depends on like how you want monsters and monster hunters to interact with the world. Yeah, like I'm even thinking about like uh, a city that's ruled by a, a werewolf lord and the the protection of the city are his werewolf legion. And typically, like they, the people that they eat are the enemies of this city and the people within like 
revere and look up and look to them as like they protect us. Sure, every now and then, like we need to like make a sacrifice or two uh, to keep them so that they can eat. <laughs> like you know, they love their human flesh, uh, but. Typically, when that happens, they choose from the older group in society, and uh, sometimes there's even volunteers. So they're great. We love these guys, and they they keep our city in a pretty peaceful place. We're pretty prosperous because of our werewolf overlords. Yeah, and I think another big piece about this style of play and the, the monster hunting, I think, is humanizing the monsters to some degree. Because even if you one thing that I would say that that film did well was you have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So you still have Dr. Jekyll who's in there. And so like if you kill this creature, do you kill both parties or you have Frankenstein's monster who is just been made they've had no say in what their life will be. But everyone says they're a monster and wants to kill them. You have werewolves who oftentimes are someone you know that has been bitten. And then you have that back and forth about, well, what do I do about it? So I think humanizing the monsters to create more lore or even more direct connections to the players or well, player characters makes it even better. Like I think that's an important piece of this style. So it's not really just a bag of hit points. It's it, it's more because then again, you're, you're just focusing on that lore and ingraining it into everything about it. Well, even if you can give your monsters aspects, yeah, like to them that they are, they're not all bad. Um, and even that the citizens may actually like the monsters, uh, depending on the situations that we we're talking about. Uh, one you may come across a time where your players and as their characters are going, we don't, we don't know if we want to actually kill this monster mm. um, or at the very least you're kind of flipping the tables on them and they are the monster hunters, but to that society, they are the villains. They might be taking down the vampire Lord, but to that society, they are the villains. They may see it as like, no, we're doing this because this just isn't right. Like we may be in the minority that believes that this is not how a kingdom should be ruled, uh, but everybody doesn't see it that way. And so they're not going to be welcomed at the tavern with open arms. They might even have to kind of disguise themselves and try to really lay low and not not be um, showing off who they are to the rest of the world. So now, now part of me is that so I've watched that movie so recently, part of me wants to try and get away from it, but it just fits so well to a and d campaign. Um, my other thought is like, which monsters work well for it? Uh, and part of me also thinks like, what monsters don't? As long as you're kind of keeping to that idea of it really ingraining that lore, both in party and in world, like there's no monster that doesn't fit. Like yeah. the, you and you can put twists on on certain monsters too. Yes. like a like you can absolutely have an angel be the monster that is being hunted, especially if you're talking about like a fallen angel or maybe an angel that is maybe the god of the angel has died. And now they are trying to be the benevolent leader and they are a zealot so that it's just like, yeah, they they're over punishing for crimes and. Again, the city might be like, 
zealous about worshiping that angel and your party is just going, no, this isn't right. This is how, how it's done. We need to take this angel out. Yeah. The idea of the kind of going with the Icarus, uh, the storyline that way they, the, it is truly a fallen angel. And then, like you said, their interactions with other creatures in the, the world that they're now in just isn't working like that. That's not how they operated thus far. And so then will the players have to, what will the players have to do to resolve that situation? Ultimately, I think coming back to kind of what the point was that you were getting to at the beginning is that, you know, you may have um, some really random like encounters in this with monsters in this type of game. Um, You may like in your journey to reach a certain destination or to reach a certain character, you may uh, go through a dungeon crawl like scenario where you're just you're killing giant bats uh, that have been infected by vampirism. Um, But Mm. I think something that's important to think about in this is that the monsters, the main monsters are NPCs. They're not just monsters, but they are characters to be given weight behind who they are, why they do the things that they do. Um, I think thinking about them in the sense of they are monstrous NPCs is a much more beneficial way to go in this type of campaign. Yeah, because one that's not in the film that I mainly again, I'm just trying to get away from the film and think of other ideas was uh, <laughs> you're stuck. Now. I can't. It was so I cannot express enough how close to just D&D on screen. That whole thing was again, like not the pinnacle of cinema, because translating your table into a Hollywood film like that's usually not how that works. But the idea of the creature of the Black Lagoon. And then also looking at the new Swamp Thing series that was on DC Universe. And the whole Swamp Thing series is that he gives himself to the green and just becomes part of that that part of the world. And the things that he's willing to do, I mean, depending on which direction you're looking at it from, I mean, people definitely die at the hands of Swamp Thing. But is it justified because it's trying to save that area? And so that same idea of uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon, is it a Black Lagoon because someone's been like dumping magical waste into it? And now they're doing all these things to try and stop that from happening. And then, like you said, having it be an NPC and part of it being an NPC is also sometimes just giving that creature a lot of power so that they have the control in those situations to choose to have a conversation instead of just fighting yeah and it's kind of just leaning into those extremes like or even like a reaction to some evil that was done to others or to themselves that somebody might become a monster like that swamp thing um swamp thing is like an extreme version of environmentalism Mm -hmm. which is a good thing uh but (laughs) but yeah like there might be this point there (laughs) there is this point where it's like what if there's no lines that are that you're unwilling to cross in that and that you've been given this power because you are now a a creature of nature that you're poison ivy is very much the same exact kind of way. And I think a lot of monsters can work well that way. Like the werewolf example we were talking about where if you're going by the extreme of protection and protection of your city, 
you are willing to cross certain lines uh, to get that. If you're thinking about the angel, the fallen angel example, and you're talking about extreme zealous following uh, in a religious sense, if there's no lines that you're unwilling to cross, that creates a monster for your monster hunting party. But let's let's kind of turn uh, the uh, path a little bit. And since we are talking about monster hunters being the playable characters in this campaign, I thought it'd be a good thing to talk about monster hunter preparation. So whether it's skills or equipment um, that your monster hunting characters uh, might uh, be equipped with, uh, might have knowledge of. Uh, what are what are your thoughts, uh, Neil? Whether it's from uh, I don't know a movie that you watched recently, <laughs> or just other, <laughs> or just other other ideas you have of like how do you define uh, the what what a monster hunter is going to have on their person, or that is going to dictate the way that they think? I think a lot of it made me think of like an 1800s James Bond that there's this gadgetry and again it goes back to the lore of like why am i using this to combat that and so am i carrying around a cross or am i carrying around garlic or these super weird saws that he uses um or the like crazy crossbow or so almost a steampunk style i think is also really helpful to kind of keep because you can also get a little campy when you approach it from that angle as well. But but I think the key to that, whether or not you make it silly, whether or not you make it serious, again, goes back to ingraining that lore and finding out what pieces of the lore work and what pieces don't. Does daylight work? I don't know. Can a vampire see its own reflection? I'm not sure. Like Frankenstein's monster, like does electricity heal it because you used it against it? I mean, and obviously... <laughs> The, the best thing is just have fire because apparently just fire works um, when, you, when you look at it from those ways. But so my thought is to go steampunk. But what is your thought? Well, I think steampunk is a good direction to go, especially if you're considering not just monsters in this type of setting, but like mad scientists, mm -hmm. monsters that are like a Frankenstein monster, which like golems work really well in that flesh golems, like flesh golems are horrific uh, when you get into like the imagery of them, homunculus, those kind of things. I think steampunk works really well in that. But one of the things that I had an idea about was I think if I was going to run a game like this, I would 100% want a, a skill that is a knowledge-based skill that was about knowledge about monsters. Because if your characters are monster hunters, like I would imagine that they would, one, from experience, and two, from study, be learning and retaining all this information about uh, different monsters. Like... Neil, I don't know about you, but when I DM, sometimes it's frustrating when you throw a monster out at your players and you have the metagamey player who is just like, oh, I know this this monster. And they like announce oh, yeah. to the group, they are weak to this or this won't work on them. And it's like, but would your character know that? Like you've kind of just destroyed the whole um interesting premise where the other players also may not know that and it, yeah i don't want to go on a rant about that but that can be 
frustrating as a DM and like I would be frustrated with that as a, as a player too, if another player did that. I think in this campaign, there's a way to kind of really encourage, not to say encourage like the metagaming aspect, but like make that into a skill where uh, you roll some sort of knowledge check mm -hmm. to be given information, you the DM giving out information to the players about monsters and their weaknesses and their behaviors um, and all these different all this different information that might be really helpful to them because these are the type of characters who that fits really well that yeah you may have never encountered a troll before but you are prepared in encountering a troll because you've heard of trolls and you want to be prepared in case you run across a troll and so, yeah, you've heard about their regeneration and you know that fire and acid and you can kind of give them that with some sort of check. I think that'd be fantastic. Well, I love it. I think we're going to talk a little insider baseball. I think over time here at the Dungeon Masters block, we've done less investing beforehand about the ideas that we want to talk about. Like we've gotten really good about making a, a succinct outline about what we're going to talk about in an episode. And I think it lends itself really well to being able to play off of each other because I have so many ideas based off of what yes. you just said. Um, Give it. Okay, Let's okay, go. Okay, so one thing is like do a Blades in the Dark style where they, maybe they have, and I'm going to say it to go full camp. At the beginning of a session, you hand everyone a certain number of bookmarks. And basically, when they want to do a check based on a certain monster, they give it back to you, one of the bookmarks, and you do like that a cut scene of when they were studying. Oh, whatever like whatever that. that looks like for that character or for whatever reason or for that monster that they're... And it doesn't have to be like, oh, you flashback to you reading a book in a library. It certainly can be, but you could flashback to, we're talking about mad scientists, like talking to a mad scientist character who has like different sorts of creatures in cages and is prodding them with sticks and talking to your character. Uh, flashback to a, another time where you fought that mm -hmm. creature or a lesser version of that creature. Like, yeah, those bookmarks are a fantastic way to give those flashbacks and you could be really, really good at role-playing interesting flashbacks. Well, yeah, the, the first one I thought of was uh, you're flashing back and you're a child and it's a mentor or a parent telling you a story about one of these monsters. Hmm. Uh, the other thing is figuring out what game you have, what dials you can turn. So for fifth edition, just because that's where kind of where we're at and it's certainly what I have the most experience with, even if a player hasn't chosen certain things for their character, you as the DM still have certain options to turn up or down. The biggest ones are proficiency and advantage. So even if I'm not proficient in history, but if I do a history monster check, I could be proficient in that, mm. or I could have advantage in that. So mm. if it's just a general historical knowledge, I don't know, I didn't read history, I don't care. But when it comes to monsters, that's what I've invested in. As I think about that in my real life, like there are certain things that I know a lot of, but then none of that is transferable to like a broader spectrum of like, even if you want to say history. So then figuring out what that looks like for, again, the individual characters. Is it because, and it oh, and does that bookmark? No, the bookmark, I'd totally give it for free because that's really fun for me. Um, if you hand in the bookmark, you're totally, <laughs> you totally know about that, about that one creature. But if you wanted to take a shot, 
and you didn't have the bookmarks or you don't like the bookmark idea, again, giving advantage and giving proficiency. Well, you could make it just a, a simple knowledge check. Mm -hmm. And like, if you want to, you could have it just, just give them yeah advantage, like you said. But I'm even thinking about that in the sense of like the ranger class has favored enemies. What if for these type of characters, you allow um, each of your players to choose a favored uh, monster type that when they come across that monster type, maybe they they know right away that it is that monster type. Maybe they have to make a check to, to know that. I'm, I'm not sure. I think it would be depending on the different type of monsters. If you're if you are pretty familiar with constructs, I think you'd know what a golem is. Um, but yeah, like what if each player has made different choices about monsters that they are specialized in? So when they do fight the golem, the player who has chosen constructs, they are going to get that advantage when they roll for that um, for knowledge about that type of monsters behaviors or weaknesses. Um, and even maybe you can, you know, throw in a little bit of like, oh, you get a just like the ranger class, you get a little bit of a mechanical bonus to um, harming or to hitting uh, to finding weak points. Like that's a cool way to add a little bit of diversity to amongst your group that they need each other for multiple reasons, but they need each other also because they are studied in different types of creatures yeah that's and that's a really fun more subtle way of finding out what your character your characters and that too but what your players would like to see in the campaign or the one shot is that you have that session zero or you have that session that character uh what do i want to say the character creation process where they've each chosen a type of monster obviously they think that's important that they would want to see that kind of thing if they want advantage and they want knowledge. And then you can frame what you're building around the idea of those three, four, five different types of monsters guaranteed to be there. So the uh, one, uh, uh, again, it's going back to what the player has said that they wanted by making that choice. And also it gives it positively rewards the choice that they've made because that's one of the tough things about i made a cleric and i can turn undead and i never see a skeleton i'm a ranger and yeah. i chose a favorite territory and we're on the ocean the whole time or like forest is my favorite terrain and we're on the ocean um that kind of thing it, it it's it's part of it but the idea of yeah like tailoring exactly what monsters they want to see well and if you could even work in some sort of like level progression that like oh and it you know, you start off with that at level one and then at level five, everybody gets to choose another type of monster or you could choose to double down on the monster of choice that you've already picked. And then when you roll, uh, you could give them some other bonus, whether they're rolling at advantage with three D20s mm. and choosing the highest so that like they're really skilled. Super. Uh, I know that's not typical 5e rules, but hey, we're not typical here, yeah. right? Um, or you could just say, you know, when you pass those checks, well, I'm going to give you because you know dragons so well, I'm going to give you more information than I would if somebody else who just had chosen dragon once like would be getting. And you could have that happen multiple times that you could have like a character who is kind of like a mosh posh of like, yeah, they know about vampires, they know about dragons, and they know about undead, or you could just have one character that is like, yeah, they are all about 
killing undead. They know mm. so much about undead. They are experts. Oh man, I would totally make an undead person that was like related to them and had some semblance of the old life again. Cause I feel like that. Oh man. Now I'm just thinking about um, like walking dead and like a, a character like that, having like zombies, like, like attached by chains to chains to them. And like, they're fighting alongside of them. That'd be pretty sweet. Yep. It's good. Oh, so I'm going to kind of take your bookmark idea because okay. I like it a lot. And I'm going to say, uh, there's another thing that you could do here, which leads me into the equipment, uh, is what if you kind of take this monster knowledge idea and the bookmark idea and double down on it and you have like little, we'll just say little silver bullet uh, cards mm. that each player has. And those cards represent like a previous becoming prepared for some sort of monster because you could just say, all right, guys, like you go ahead, go into town, like buy up anything that you would, would want to have as far as like protection against certain monsters or rather than spending a ton of time on that, maybe each character has one or two silver bullet cards and maybe they can refresh them at certain points of the campaign. I don't know. Um, this is up to you as the DM to decide, but when you come across the werewolf, and you don't have any silver weapons or silver bullets or crossbow bolts on your character sheet, you can pull that out and hand that to the DM. And again, Neil, have a flashback to where you were making some sort of preparation in case you came across this type of monster. And maybe you tie that into the knowledge and like, well, you have to have a successful knowledge check to be able to use that because if you didn't know about that as a weakness, well, then you wouldn't be able to use that. And that could make it a little bit harder to get that um, that bane, as it were, whether it's silver bullets or holy water or holy symbol stakes, whatever it is, to fight that certain monster. But that could be a cool other mechanical use for, oh, here you go, DM, take this. Cool. Now you have a silver, your sword that you've been using. We didn't talk about it until now, but yes, you had it coated in silver. It's so good. I like that. And I like the idea of having having the cards, having something easy to carry. Because what I thought was like, oh, you could totally get spent bullet shells. And I was like, no, that's too much of a hassle <laughs> from so many different perspectives. That's no, no, no. There's so much more we could talk about here. We could talk about like the defenses that monster hunters would um, would have, whether it's different types of armor, magical defenses, oils, prayer. You talk about like even mundane things like salt when you look at like supernatural elements of stories like salt is going to be protection you can talk about bait monster yep. hunters might have like different types of blood and capsules on them to like lure in uh people maybe different types of incense depending on your characters they might even like be willing to use people as bait mm -hmm. but let's let's kind of transition into the talk about like making the monsters real we talked a little bit about this neil but how do you make this type of game feel interesting and new on a on a basis of oh we're instead of like okay now you're going to f hunt down a vampire okay now you're going to hunt down a ghost okay now you're going to hunt, hunt down a troll um how do you make each and every type of hunt feel new and exciting and interesting 
I think what's happening to the world is that that first clue. So in a lot of ways, like, again, the fifth edition analogy would be if you wanted a mechanical perspective on it, like what are the like layer actions? What are what's happening Mm. to the environment? So what are happening to the people? Do you go to a town and everyone appears very gaunt and their skin is somewhat gray? They're there and like they're definitely normal townspeople. But are they being haunted? Or if, um, again, like the black, like the creature from the Black Lagoon, and they're all taking this water that's now tainted. And so, like, again, the physical appearance, or is it direct interaction? It, like, one person has, I mean, this is a little, little body horror, but again, it's because I watched, I started, also started watching the Hansel and Gretel one with Jeremy Renner, the, also the pinnacle of cinema. The, I'm so sorry. Yeah. The idea that, like, <laughs> that someone's infested because they've been cursed um, by a witch or someone has turned into a werewolf and livestock is missing and people are missing. I think it's, I think to make it real, you have to show what's happening to the people in the area Mm. of the monster. Yeah. I think that in a, in a campaign like this, every now and then you're just going to want the straight forward. This monster is evil and we need to kill it. But I think that whole aspect of like either whether it's misunderstood monsters or cursed and infected humans adds a different element to it because the cursed and infected humans may 100% kill you when given the chance. But is your response going to be just, oh, just kill them when they try to kill you? Because is there a way to cure them? Is there a way to lift the curse and if that's the case, like, are your are your PCs going to want to just, like, decimate them? Or is there a more difficult path to try and lift the curse to heal them of their disease? And the misunderstood monster thing, like we said, too. Like, there may – what if there's a, a, a troll out there who, when you meet that troll, like, it does not seem like this troll – is bad, but they are misunderstood. And maybe there's someone else. Maybe there's a person that has been killing other people and blaming it on the troll because the troll is an easy scapegoat. So, you know what time it is? It's time for homework. It is. What do you got for homework? Uh, watch Van Helsing. Can't tell you anything better than that. I really, truly cannot tell you anything better than the 2004 film with Hugh Jackman and Kate Beckinsale and Foramir. Faramir. The guy who plays Faramir in Lord of the Rings, he's like this. Sure. Yeah, he's, I don't remember that movie. Uh, well, I do. I watched it very recently. Um, again, <laughs> go into it with the idea that I that you are literally watching a D&D campaign play out in front of you and you will be totally fine. You will get a lot go out on of for it. inspiration. Yeah. Speaking of the pinnacle of this is this is the silver screen. One of the best networks ever. The CW. Ooh. Supernatural. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Supernatural is great, especially especially that first season. It very much followed the monster of the week model, which you can find in other shows like uh, Fringe. You can get ideas from X-Files. Uh, but all of those are great if you are looking to dive into ideas for different monster adversaries to throw into uh, the players' ways. And honestly... Most players probably you could even kind of really just kind of take the stories out of those Monster of the Week episodes. They're all pretty forgettable. 
change them a little bit up and throw them as as adventures in your campaigns. Yep. And I, that reminded me another silver screen one that would do really well, especially when looking into the lore of the monsters and things like that. If you go watch the TV series Sleepy Hollow. Yep. Another, in my opinion, terrible show, but good inspiration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so monsters of the week, monster hunting campaigns. You know what? Thank you, Mitch, for coming on and talking with me about monsters and making me watch Van Helsing. You know what, Neil? Thank you for uh, coming on the show and talking with me about monster hunting campaigns. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that discussion on monster hunting campaigns. If you'd like to write in and let us know about the spooky campaigns you did over your Halloween time with your D&D group, you can write us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you liked this episode, previous episodes, or future episodes of the Dungeon Masters Block, please feel free to leave us a five-star review on whatever podcatcher app that you use. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places will give you great updates about the show, keep you in the loop on what's going on. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to Andrew Black! Andrew Black is a silver dragon. Andrew, thanks so much, you terrifying silver dragon, you, for supporting us, for supporting all the Block Party Podcast Network shows. We truly, truly appreciate it. Well, that's all we have for you for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm your host, Dungeon Master Mitch, reminding you to always keep on Dungeon Mastering. <laughs>